Yeah, I'm gonna record and just it's we're just going. Alright. Okay. Alright. Welcome to Society of Illustrators New Visions Podcast. With New Visions, we like to talk about a whole host of topics including diversity, inclusion, and illustration's role in the larger cultural context. New Visions is led by me, Jonathan Bartlett, and includes Jensen Ekwal, Yao Xiao, John Lee, and Chris Kindred. As a fairly new operation, you know, we're still getting our bearings with this. Uh, we're trying different approaches to the interviews. We're trying to see what feels best. Uh, so, you know, thanks for sticking with us. If you're listening for the first time, welcome. Uh, I encourage you to take a look back at the archive that we have of our earlier episodes. And if you have been with us already, again, thanks for sticking with us through all these these attempts at different, different approaches. Before we get started, though, I got uh, really exciting news about New Visions. You can now find us online. That's right. Um, at the Society of Illustrators website, which is societyillustrators.org. If you just go there, right under the program's tab, rather, you'll find new visions. So all of our podcasts can be accessed right there with descriptions and helpful information about what's included, as well as a resource page that we are excited about because it'll be regularly updated with links to maybe articles, databases, opinions, resources, uh, of all kinds, you know, things that we don't generate ourselves, things that aren't New Visions generated, but that we feel is important or helpful or related to, you know, all the same issues that we're tackling, the inclusion, diversity, so on. So we'll keep you posted with updates, probably most likely on Twitter the most, social media stuff, but check back. And if you have a suggestion or a link for us that you think we should know about, tell us. But that's that's great. That's what we want. This is all about community and, and doing this together. So tweet any any of the New Visions committee members at their own personal uh, accounts or at the Society of Illustrators Twitter account or email us at info at societyillustrators.org. Cool. All right, back to the podcast now. One thing we like to do is have a ho- rotating cast of hosts. You know, it's nice to hear new perspectives and hopefully keeps things fresh. So that's not going to change. Uh, but that said, I'll try to ground things here each time with a short intro. So, as I said, I'm Jonathan Bartlett, Chairman of the New Visions Committee. Thanks for joining us. This conversation, hosted by the wonderful Jensen Equal, is an amazing in-depth discussion with Kat Fajardo, Hazel Nuevant, Kevin Stanton, and Annie Stoll about the illustrator's approach to crowdfunding, pro- uh, personal projects, self-publishing, and even some activism through art. There's a lot of details, so pay attention, and I guess without further ado, here's Jensen. Welcome to the New Visions podcast at the Society of Illustrators. I'm Jensen Ekwal, and today I'm going to be hosting our podcast on crowdfunding and self-publishing. So I'm going to have everybody go around, and if you could say your name and then some of the projects we might know you from. All right, I'm Hazel Nulevant. Uh, I self-published Chainmail Bikini, the anthology of women gamers, which is a project that uh, I funded on Kickstarter. It was an anthology with 40-ish contributors, and pretty much all of my comics so far have been self-published. I also self-published If This Be Sin, uh, which I got a queer press grant to publish, and Chiveriamo, which I got a Zeric grant to publish. So, grant writing. It's another great way to go about self-publishing. Uh, I'm Kevin J. Stanton with 
Andy Stoll. Hi, Andy Stoll. We did Thousand and One Nights, but I've also done uh, Berlin Fur, both of which kickstarted just about at the same time. So that's that's my particular experience with this. Yep, and um, I've been involved in and also uh, making anthology self-publishing for quite a while, um, notably with Hanadoki Kira. Mm -hmm. And um, my project with Kevin is called A Thousand and One Nights. Um, it's a massive three-volume anthology project that focuses on creating people-positive characters with feminist overtones. I'm Kat Fajardo. Um, I self-publish a bunch of mini-comics, um, which include topics uh, of self-acceptance and um, teaching about Latin culture. Um, I also self-published um, a recent project called La Raza Anthology, which is an all Latinx art anthology um, full of 30 contributors, and we just funded on Kickstarter. So, um, so everybody here has been involved in anthologies, you know, both making the artwork and contributing and um, putting them together themselves. So. Uh, why have you found that a crowdfunding platform is well-suited for um, anthology publishing? I think it's a pretty natural fit because um, it anthologies don't seem to be a format that's very popular with publishers right now. I think probably the sales numbers through um, comic book stores are not as great but it's it's so good for crowdfunding because of course um breaking a huge book up into chunks of just a few pages you can get it to come together really fast um and everybody has their own fan base that they're capitalizing on and bringing into it or they have their own friends and followers and all of that so yeah crowdfunded anthologies have been doing pretty well um i think the first one that i ever heard about was smut peddler that spike trotman edited and she really pioneered like a a model for crowdfunded comics anthologies especially stuff that's woman focused um like women warriors was another really yeah, one that's yeah. Incredible. that kind of kicked things off oh man I right, womanthology, that. I think. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, I'm not sure exactly how long Kickstarter's been around for, but probably anthology has got in there pretty quick. So what I noticed about Women Warriors is they um, they did a uh, color scheme to like hold everything together, if I'm correct, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. The bright so, pink. Yeah, like the pink and then the black and white. Yeah. So do you, uh, when you're collecting you know your pieces for an anthology do you ever have concerns about um consistency and it, it holding together mm -hmm. as a whole and how do you like how do you make decisions to make it a cohesive piece well like ours has three different books in thousand and one nights and each one is broken down into kind of a, a theme um so we looked through all of the pieces to kind of analyze the themes, yeah. um, you know, like figure out wisdom, fellowship, courage. Um, so the thing that ties them all together is more thematic than visual, but I think they have a lot of like overlapping 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's um, it's actually a really great question. I think that's something that when you're putting together a project, you should give thought to, not just in terms of being a curator, but yeah. in terms of thinking like an art director. I mean, that that's my main job is what I do. Um, when I worked on Hado Doki Kira, we did a very similar thing inspired mm. by women mythology where we used the mint green. And so mm. everyone was united with this color going off a riff of what uh, shoujo manga was to them. Um, Approaching something very large, like A Thousand One Nights, I didn't want to limit people by saying you can only use color, you can only use black and white. Um, I wanted people to have the, um, let their individuality shine. Um, so that presents Which is a also like a theme of Thousand One Nights. Exactly, so that's, that's and that, that's appropriate for our theme, like that makes sense with like our messaging. Because um, we talked about doing something more uniform, for but sure. it, it wasn't the same. Um, but what would then take this and make it you know, stand out from just being like another, you know, phone book of illustrations. And right. for us, it's talking about the themes. And I think when you get a group of people together with a loose idea, for us, it was what does it mean to be a knight? What does it mean to have strength? Mm -hmm. um, you will see that even people who have never met before, there will be overarching themes that um, you'll see. Yeah. And for us, like, it was very natural that we would see there were stories that had to do with being wise. It was like wise. problem solving. Yeah, or, problem solving. There were problems. Yep. Problems. Like non-violent non solutions. Exactly. Being courageous and what that means in all the different facets. Yeah. Um, as well as, like, these tales of friendship and, you know, helping one another. So, um, definitely something you should give thought to. Um, yeah. And... Also, on a practical side, you need to think about how you're going to print this and what the cost implications are for color versus spot color versus black and white. Yeah, I think like having like Berlin fur, we... Can you explain yeah. what that project is? Oh, sure. It's a... Uh, it's uh, it celebrates Barra in all of its, its yeah. lusty glory. <laughs> yeah. um, but for me, I put together the book and we didn't have like a theme other than like burly chubby dudes and uh but it was interesting like kind of tackling more of the art director like finding what made the book flow as opposed to just kind of like throwing it into a, a thing which is yeah it's definitely something you have to consider yeah and before I mean, you do it because like the ultimate product mm -hmm. you know after the crowdfunding is, is just as important so for sure and when you see your pieces too you'll notice there are color harmonies so yeah. what you choose to place next to or right after I mean, you can think about the flow and the beat of how someone's going to read a book. Um, sometimes there were stories that were very lighthearted. Sometimes there were stories that were very, very mm -hmm. serious. And for me, I would sort of buffer that with illustrations that kind of led into from comic to comic. A Thousand and One, if I remember correctly, went through like several <sighs> different iterations before it oh, ended yeah. up being what it was. Mm -hmm. you want yes. to talk about the process? <laughs> Sure. I mean, really, it was a zine that kind of went out of control. It's like a true passion project <laughs> that speaks to the need for people positivity and, you know, how sometimes an idea can become more than just yourself. Well, because we had started it as Game of Thrones scene, where uh, it was like the, the season where Arya was being amazing and Brienne was being yeah, amazing. Yeah, before everything was really terrible. Well, yeah, before, <laughs> before the season that came afterwards. But, yeah. um, you know, we we talked about doing something like that. Annie and I had talked about doing an anthology before that. Um, and it seemed like a natural fit, but the response that we got was so strong. And yeah. there were so many other characters that, strong female characters specifically, that people wanted to see that... Uh, I think we really realized that it wasn't just 
this IP that people yeah, were interested in. Yeah, it wasn't in. just people Game were, of Thrones. Yeah, people were drawn to the idea of, like, a powerful, you know, female character mm -hmm. or just characters in general who maybe are, you know, non-binary but have this strength that is not your typical, like, old-school girl in a bikini kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and so being able to express yourself and, you know, who you are um, within these sort of new ways of thinking was really important. And so this project grew from like, okay, let's see if 20 people want to do this to, we had a wave. So like 100, 100 in the people, first day. Yeah. On the first day, we're just like, and you know, everyone who responded was amazing. I, you know, we didn't want to say no because they all had amazing stories and really great perspectives that needed to be seen. Yeah. So we were like, all right, well, what if we make a really big tome? And then it just kind of kept growing where people would Until say, it was like a 750 page book. At which point we were like, okay, we can't, <laughs> this book like this book is like too big and so i mean our solution was you know what like taking a look at the mm -hmm. work talking with our artists seeing these themes that we're developing we were like we can sort of you know kind of riff off the token thing where you've got you know this overarching yeah. story but it's divided into three volumes now we have a way to sort of curate and put everything together that's yeah. cohesive and then we were able to um you know invite a few extra people to fill in our gaps i think it's important to be open to evolving and you know asking yourself what does this project want like where does yeah. it want to go and i mean we've we've talked forever you yeah. know like we we talk at length forever um which has been a great part of the anthology is is being able to kind of like collaborate mm -hmm. really closely um but obviously Annie and I are, are like, yeah, like, we'll just make it bigger, big, crazy. Yeah. You know? <laughs> like, and I think, sure, like, it's a 750 page book. Like, how right. are we going to do that? It's okay to have page limits too, though, if that's yes. your approach as an editor. Of course. And I think yes. too, you should definitely, if you're thinking about, you know, participating in or creating, mm -hmm. you know, self-publishing anthologies, whatever it is, you know, start small. And we've both done anthologies on our own before. Exactly. Um, but on a much smaller scale. So right. this was kind of our, our dream project kind of spun which out kind of, of control goes back, in the best way exactly mm -hmm. and it kind of goes back to your first point which is you know what are the advantages of you know crowdfunding and self-publishing and the fact is like this book would not be able to be made if we went to a traditional publisher but having a passion project and having an idea that you can kind of create and you can collaborate with yeah. these platforms allow you to dream really big and actually make that happen that um that got me onto the idea of have any of you ever had an idea for a self-generated project that you thought was maybe too outlandish or too big and so like how do you determine what's realistic to create like mm -hmm. either on in 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 your own work that you're self-producing or something that you're gonna for example crowdfund for la raza um not only did we have comics but we also had like short stories poems illustrations so it's a bit, like a different like mediums um, which I felt like was very, very ambitious at first, and I should have thought of it much more, like, better mm. earlier on. Um, but it kind of helped um, in a sense that we also would target more, like, audience, so not just, like, comic lovers, but also people who are into, like, stories and, like, poets and stuff, so it, it really helped. Um, but uh, I really wish I thought of that earlier. And, um, I mean, now, like... I mean, Larasa was like my first Kickstarter and like big project, so definitely for the future, if I ever have like other anthologies or something, I have that in mind. But um, that's definitely something we should be aware of. Just like limitations of like comics or just like in projects. I think the biggest limitations when it comes to crowdfunding or self-published projects is 
how much you plan to happen after the Kickstarter. Mm. I think when it's too ambitious is when you're like assuming that a lot of things are going to fall into place. Like, oh, all of these artists are definitely going to send me their work by such and such time. I am, I mean, at least for crowdfunding, when there's this, like, when there's all these people you're beholden to, I'm a big proponent of having everything done ahead of time as much as you possibly can, which does present some difficulties because you want to pay people for their work, and that comes after the campaign of whatever sort. Um, yeah, I, fortunately, hmm, yeah, it's just hard. <laughs> it's hard to determine what's too big. Like, I, of course, told people, here's the minimum page rate that you're going to get if we make the minimum funding goal, but there's going to be stretch goals and bonuses and you know I think people were hoping for that and fortunately I was able to make good on their hopes with chainmail bikini but um yeah I think what determining what's too ambitious and what isn't is all about planning chainmail mm. bikini I feel like did particularly well because you did a really good job with getting in touch with distribution and making sure it was like getting out and not just sitting. Right. Office. Yeah, that book did um, have a good life after the campaign. This is a, like a issue with a lot of self-published work is that we have all of these. It's, it's easy for individuals to access printers right now, including mm. offset printers and stuff. And um, like crowdfunding campaigns are actually a great way to get a bunch of pre-orders and really have a lot of people find out about a book that wouldn't otherwise, but it's really hard as a self-publisher to have access to bookstores and comic book shops. And I don't know if there's a, if there's a universal solution for that other than contacting distributors and trying to work with them and, you know, it's nice to know that before you make your uh, your print order. And, of course, a lot of people do distribute stuff just by going to a ton of conventions and having online sales, and mm -hmm. that can work fine for them. And sometimes if you have a niche fan base, that's all you need. Like maybe with your yeah. webcomic, the people who are going to be into it are already following you online. They're not I the think people. that's a big part is, like, ideally you've already built up you know, some kind of an audience for the work that you want to do and get out there. And those people are excited about it. Um, and hopefully, you know, they get other people excited about it, which is, I think, one of the benefits of crowdfunding is the timeline and, like, the publicity of it. The, you know, like, having a page that is active, people know that there's, like, 30 days or something um, so they're like sharing it in a, in a timely manner and kind of, uh, and getting it out there. And ideally it's an audience that builds another audience. Right. And having a theme that connects with a lot of people yeah, is a way to build an audience. I, you know, I didn't have really that much of an audience before Chainmail Bikini, but I was just, um, 
a bit of a judicious move to pick something that would be to pick a topic for an anthology, which goes back to what you were saying about uniting principles. You know, mm-hmm. all of ours have pretty, you know, there's definitely art anthologies, like stuff that D&Q publishes that are just united by the editor's taste, but we all have these pretty concise topics. And yeah, how did that work for you with La Raza, Kat? Um, yeah, it was very, very small, like, audience. Um, it was really hard because with the Kickstarter, we were kind of, like, afraid it wasn't going to work out. Because um, not, like, it took a, a while for people to talk about it. Um, not to mention, like, some people, like, who won't care about it won't care about, like, sharing it or anything. So it's very, like, it was very difficult. Um, but fortunately, I had, like, connections with people who run, like, Remescla or, like, Latinx, um, like, magazines, and they kind of, like, you know, told people about it, and so it was really nice of them. Um, and from there on, the last week of, like, Kickstarter, everyone just started sharing the heck out of it, and it helped that's a lot. That kind of seems to be the way. Yeah. Like, we were, we were told that, like, the first and the yeah. last like three days of a campaign is when everything happened. Oh yeah. Your challenge is really figuring out what to do in the middle to get get the people who have already been excited about it to keep getting them almost to make them your vanguard or your evangelist, getting everybody else excited because Mm -hmm. a lot of people will bookmark it and then forget about it and then spend a paycheck. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah. So, you know, it's important to, to, you know, find that part out. I'll go a little bit back to what we were talking about before. Um, You know, I think that it's really important to know yourself and to know your strengths and your weaknesses and to be very, very honest with yourself about that. Um, Like for myself, like math is not my thing. It's not my jam. Like I can do it in terms of like, you know, graphic design and stuff. But as far as like, you know, ifs and buts and yeah, all that kind of stuff, like that's, I just don't enjoy it. So for me, my key is finding someone who is amazing at that and bringing them into it and having them help. Um, And, you know, you can't plan enough, but saying, you know what, knowing your shortcomings, bringing someone in that helps you that, you you know, shore them up. Exactly. I mean, like for me and Kevin, we complement each other very well. Like we both have very distinct, you know, strengths and weaknesses and we bring out the best of each other. Mm -hmm. And for me, like that is invaluable. Um, And, you know, (laughs) (laughs) but, you know, knowing when you're going into these crowdfunding situations, like plan as much as you can bring in people that can help you and know, you know what, you're only human things will happen, but then know how you're going to deal with it and bring in people that can, you know, help you, you know, if something is feeling overwhelming in the planning stages, then you already have that gut feeling. I think it's really important to listen to your heart and to know, you know, you know what you are capable of and, um, you know, it's important to, to really stay focused and feel those situations out. But I mean, if you had like a niche project that you wanted to do, I think one way you could potentially do it is to bring in friends, Correct. you know, like not, not self-published per se, but self-published as a, as a small collective. Like we've seen yeah. and supported a bunch of, much smaller um, projects where, you know, it's built around like a little bit more of a niche idea, but it's a group of friends getting it out there. And that could be like five different networks that are all like riffing off of each other, but then they're, it's, it's stronger together. Yeah. Um, And it's a good opportunity to lift other people up with you. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like if you, you know, have a group of friends that you can say, all right, I have like, you know, three or four friends and we can all do this together. 
who are their friends? Do they yeah. do they know of someone else? Like you never know what someone will say until you ask. It's really important yeah. to ask those questions, to reach out, and to bring opportunity to people besides just your own little circle because you know what like that's how we better our society that's how we help yeah. each other out what are your this is for anybody like favorite ways of reaching your market whether it's with your own comics or with a project that you've been funding and working on like how do you get it out there how do you get it in front of both the people that you want to read it the people you want to distribute it etc cetera, etc cetera. Yeah, I would say this is like literally the million dollar question. Like everyone wants to know, like, how do you do that? And I mean, the answer, as it is to a lot of things, is there is no magic answer. Um, and, yeah, like there's no one fit. There's no one fit. And and that is that is the truth. But you know your audience, you know what you're interested in. And um, that is your strength. So, you know, if you have like, for instance, like when I was doing Hanadoki Kira, like that was a very niche genre, shoujo, but everyone who was involved was really into that genre we all read yeah. we read those comics we had you know friends that liked that and so we relied on what we know and what we love and went through channels therein mm -hmm. um if that makes kind of kind of sense sure. um and like like i said before like you never know the power until you you say you know ask someone a question the worst thing anyone will ever tell you is no in which case yo move on go talk to someone else they'll say yeah yeah <laughs> you know um and it's great to reach out to people and also to do your research and see what has come before. Um, hmm. You know, we're at the point now where we're having this panel, like self-publishing is successful. It's great. And you know what? Reach out to people whose work you've admired. Any, or who have done it. Yeah, or who have done it. Anything yeah. from, hey, like what paper did you print on to, hey, like what do you recommend? And you'll find that like people are very happy to talk about it. And, you know, they'll say, oh, hey, I did an interview. Check this out. Or, you know, here's our resources. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a really good way of, you know, finding out things. Um, and, you know, if what you're doing is unprecedented, then maybe you're on the right track. Like that is something that needs to be happening. Mm -hmm. mm. So do you... Feel, do you feel like you pay attention at all to, like, Hazel's talking about hitting the zeitgeist with, you know, women gamers and having yeah. that be good timing. Do you feel like you pay attention to what you think the market needs, or do you... For us, it was, it? like, more, you know, like, having it been Game of Thrones and then yeah. feeling, like, this much stronger vibe. It was less, like, yeah, I think this is what a consumer would support, sure. and more, like, this is this larger group of our peers mm -hmm. um, and new peers that are genuinely like really excited about something and kind of building on that. I'm sure there's like kind of two schools of thought. I mean, one school would be like, if you are an actual independent small publisher, you are a company, yeah. you may be wanting to look at these things as marketing opportunities and, you know, tap into what's hot right sure, now. Yeah. If you are an independent creator and you're looking to like do your passion project or to get more work of a certain kind, you want to do what you love. I mean, that that's great age-old advice. Do what you love. Yeah, um, I think, like, the timing can and be the timing a kind of, of that. Yeah, and a lot of times it's just kind of, that's the minutia. It kind of works out where, like, yeah. you know, you're interested in these topics, for instance, of, like, women gamers, and, you know, that's, I mean, you're really involved in that community. You know what I mean? So that made sense. The timing was right, but it was also, it was like... perfect for that. It yeah, was also that something was, It was also love. kind of... I mean, there were some elements of that timing that were accidental i mean i think in terms of paying attention to the zeitgeist like self-publishing something is so much work that you have to like love it 
for first and foremost, and then both in terms of like zeitgeist and reaching out to people, I'm I'm becoming an increasingly big believer in trying to think of what the audience is for a project Mm -hmm. outside of the indie comics community because it's so small and so (laughs) so it's small and supportive but then you have to sustain yourself beyond yeah right um so i think you can't really do something just because you notice it's in the zeitgeist but that if you're passionate about whether it's your own individual story or an anthology topic or some other kind of project like we've all seen these waves of themes go through you Mm -hmm. know social media like in like and at 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 a point it seems like fresh and new and at a point like something can seem hackneyed yeah even if it is something that you love so it's like there's a degree of like stepping back and be like okay yeah who am i making this for I mean, I've heard... Oh, sorry. Go oh, yeah. <laughs> well, as I, I, people have said before, okay, how many more women anthologies do we need? And the answer is all of them. Every single one, yeah, we need yeah. it. You know what I mean? It's like, that is definitely like a question that gets posed. Like, oh, do we need another one? Yeah. We saw yeah. some of that. Exactly. Exactly. And I mean, sure, do you want to copy someone else's theme? No. But the fact that, you know, there are, you know, women coming together, queer folk coming together to make these... I'm of the mind, you know, the more people at the table, the better. So, And there are different ways to tackle exactly. projects within the same theme. Like yeah, Women Warriors sure. is extraordinary. It's, you know, these incredible, strong women. Um, but I think 1001 tackles as much of, like, powerful warriors as much as it does, um, you know, like, characters solving their problems through friendship or, right. you know, and- like, really sweet things. Mm-hmm. Um and I think that was one of the big appeals to us that we we didn't tell anybody like, hey, we want to have like friendly people too. But it was like that's the stories that people wanted to express. Yeah. Um, Sometimes I think it's also just about creating a vibe and an atmosphere and a community that's welcoming, and yeah. a lot of that falls into place. So not being so specific and saying, okay, you can like you person over there, you can only draw this or you can only write about that. But sometimes that works too. Like that's sure. that's where like the one fit doesn't. Exactly. You know, one fit all. It, it's, uh, yeah, like that. Sometimes that could be like a, a really lean yep. anthology of like 20 people. The exact same theme could be fantastic, but, um, you know, we're on the, we're on the polar opposite yeah. of that. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. But I think there's, there's room for all kinds of amazing projects. And, yeah. you know, everyone has a really unique and important voice. And, you know, self-publishing and being a part of anthologies, like, this allows you to express yourself. And then as part of a larger picture of your life, you know, you do projects that you love, people will take notice, and then you can get more work doing what you want. That Mm -hmm. makes it sound like every self-published project is a good idea. So who shouldn't (laughs) self-publish? Is there such a thing? I mean, you should probably, I think everybody should try. Like, if they they believe in their idea, then, then they should absolutely give it a go. I mean, it might not be successful in the first time, but uh, it might not even be good, but I think that, um, yeah, I think there's room for everybody to kind of come to the table and, um, you know, if they're passionate enough, we've seen a lot of projects through 1001 people reaching out, um, mm. and you know, like that's, I think it's incredible to see, yeah. um, just like the different ideas. Um, I think to Hazel's point, you know, if you've never 
published anything before and then you want to, you know, do something that has like 20,000 people in it, that's not a good idea. You know what I mean? Starting, starting small, starting no. what you know, asking to participate in, you know, other projects gets you the experience that yeah. gives you the confidence to, you know, move forward. Um, right. Or print some mini comics, print some exactly. slightly long, longer mini comics. Mm -hmm. I think that yeah. is the, for cartoonists and possibly illustrators too, it's the barest stepping stone of self-publishing right. you know going to you know events like mocha that the society of illustrator puts on like seeing and meeting other artists buying yeah. their work you know supporting i mean that's what got me here yeah. basically right supporting other people and then that will give you strength and courage to you know move forward yeah mm -hmm. <laughs> so I feel like this this relates a little bit to a question I had about about gatekeepers and publishing. So mm. the duality of publishing is that you know, they there's a power in publishing of being able to push to distribute and also you know editors who are you know somebody looking at your work and telling you what's working and what isn't. Yeah. But on the other hand, um, you know you have limitations. So you can't do whatever it is you want. So how's the fact that self publishing has little to no gatekeeper is positive? For you and or like your 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 community i feel like that's a very loaded question yeah. <laughs> um, i don't think any of us would have uh brought together the anthologies that we did if we also had to um go pitch it to a publisher yeah, like and, somebody. Right. yeah um i mean i think the a publisher has several big roles. They invest the money in the printing. They theoretically, although I've seen a lot of publishers fall down on the job, do the legwork of marketing and promotion. Yeah. Um, they, yeah, they tell you what's good and what's not, and they format it. Um, and is there anything else I'm missing that publishers do? <laughs> Uh, distribution? Did I distribution, say distribution? Yeah. Distribution, marketing. right? Art direction. That's true. Mm, sure. So, art direction and what's good and what's not are pretty subjective. So, there, if there's, if you show people what you're working on, and there's enough other people that say, "Yeah, I like this," then it's a moot point. And yeah. um, crowdfunding also does remove a lot of the need for that initial investment. I mean, it really takes away most of the risk from the person who's publishing it. I guess the risk is then on the people who pre-ordered it that you're actually going to make good on your promise. Because on the bottom of Kickstarter, there's a little thing. It's like, you know, what oh, yeah. are the potential risks that you could... And then Kickstarter into. also says that they're, they're you know, they are not... Uh, liable for kickstarters that don't make good on those promises as well mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um but i mean annie and i have talked a lot about how thousand one nights would never have made it through a publisher um it's topical but not i don't think it's lean or focused enough mm -hmm. to be um you know like 30 30 right. female artists currently making lady yeah. nights um and well, i think like, from an aesthetic point too like who's gonna want to publish three 300 page books that oh i'm are, talking about you know, like half of bound. one of the books <laughs> yeah. Maybe. yeah 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 um, 
But like the other thing about not being a gatekeeper is like you take on all of those roles. And the other part of that is publicity. Like we, um, I think we did a pretty good job reaching out to people who might be interested in the book. And that meant like reaching out to a ton of people and then like a fifth of them getting back to us. Um, Where, how did you find those people? We did a lot of research based on like um, people who had already researched Kickstarters or who had written articles about Kickstarters and, and promoted. Um, I had a friend who worked at BuzzFeed who did an article for us, like a listicle of, and was it 32? Yeah, it was like reasons um, why. But, you know, like we, even even in that, we um, we wanted to be very aware of like what that message would be. Like we, we had to take on the role of publisher yeah. in all of the senses of publicity and message and copy. And, and yeah. um, you know, like it, crowdfunding removes the gatekeeper, but you almost have to step up to the responsibility. Yeah, just because you have unlimited freedom void. doesn't mean you have to go super supernova and you know sometimes you I mean having to self curate is just as much of a challenge, you know. You always yeah. hate it when you, your professors give you like a really open-ended question. It's so hard to wrap, you know, your head around. Um but going back to gatekeeping whether it's positive or negative, I think that when you self-publish um you know, you do have more freedoms to address topics that may be difficult to, you know, mm -hmm. go by in a publishing. Sometimes it yeah. feels like the traditional publishers are X amount of years behind, whereas indie comics and, you know, more of that sort of, you know, self-started mm -hmm. projects, like you can tackle issues and you can tackle personal things that, you know, maybe people are afraid, oh, that won't sell because mm -hmm. of X, Y, and Z, but you can actually make it happen and you can prove that it's you know right or they just think it won't sell because we don't have enough comp titles that are similar yeah. enough to this that did sell and it's a self-fulfilling mm -hmm. prophecy yeah, that's, too that's because true. it's like oh well no one buys this because or, there's not yeah, enough of like, them and well, there's not like it, it when you're self-publishing without a gatekeeper there's no real baggage then you don't mm -hmm. have to be like oh you know last year i tried to publish another three <laughs> 750 right. pages of uh, you know like there's it's, well, there it's is like, baggage in terms of your public well, yeah. track record. And I think, like, also being aware of projects that have come before. Like, we've, I'm sure, all been in anthologies before that, mm. um, you know, you're like, ah, uh, you know, like, I want to do that better. I want to be more aware of uh, mm. of that for our own project. Um, yeah. I think there's a certain degree of, because we are in the times now of, like, you know, the Tumblr generation, like Instagram, like everything that's like so very accessible that like in the world at large, like authenticity is something that people think they can like buy and sell and create. And when you're working on your own project and you're self-funding it, that kind of feels like the ultimate authenticity because it is you laying mm. yourself out there and the projects that you have. And I think that there's this sort of strange relationship happening now with publishers where they look at that and they're like oh well you know this project did x y and z really well and they did it by themselves so now we're gonna you know there's just this sort of not exactly articulating it right but it's just we're kind of at this crossroads right now mm -hmm. and we're kind of experiencing these things where like big publishers will look at someone and say all right you were successful on your own now let's take you on yeah which is kind of not fair for like marginalized character like i agree creators, yeah, you know it's like well, there's no market for like our stuff so um, we just have to make our own little thing which actually self-publishing helps a lot in that department 
because um, I've been to like I've pitched stuff to like publishers and they're just like no rejected and it's like not mainstream enough because yeah. it ta- it like it's about like um it has like Latino um topics which is like oh it doesn't sell well because there's nothing out there for that so but little did I know there's like an audience for that kind of thing so. I don't know. It's just really frustrating. <laughs> I think it, I think it's extremely frustrating. And, like, my personal hope is, like, the more that we can make these kind of projects that are self-published, yeah. the mm. more it will push these dinosaurs. Sorry, dinosaurs listening to this. <laughs> push, you, like, push you guys, like, to, to say, all right, like, this is something that we need to be addressing. This is something we yeah. need to be doing. Mm-hmm. And we need to be investing in because, you know, this is the future and this is how things are going to be going. Not that the future is only self-published, but the future is, you know, multicultural or multiracial and we have to, you know, be respectful and people positive. And, yeah. and moving forward, it can't be, you know, things don't fit in the same three categories mm-hmm. you know we have to keep expanding well also like removing publishers you're not like buying something from penguin and knowing that like it's a penguin product and almost like shifts the the visibility of a project to the backers specifically yeah. like mm-hmm. you know how well a project does shows that community that is like yeah you know you have a community mm-hmm. i do that's think it's looking for that a little dangerous to only look at metrics no 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 i mean in the sense that like you can say like there is a community that is looking for this specific Mm -hmm. category that a publisher would say like yeah like we've well you know nobody's buying that from us but they haven't made anything yeah that's for that um and yet you can see then like some kind of metric yeah. that is like, oh no, there's a community of people who do want this. Yeah, you just have to really look. You just have to like <laughs> yeah. make something and get it to yeah. them ideally. Oh yeah, um, absolutely. Well, this sounds like a question of, you know, that we all ask every time we go to a convention, which is like mm-hmm. um, the scene is so insular and so cyclical. Like you have the yeah. same people making the comics, buying the comics, reading the comics. Like every so often something will bust out into the wider cultural sphere. But it's like you know clearly like the the indie scenes like need in like an an injection of of both cash flow and audience from outside. So like, how do we expand? How do we break out? You know of of just comics comics circle. <laughs> yeah. Well, like, would you guys say that your projects were very targeted to like the indie comics community? Mm, I feel like that was the initial like intention. Um, but I mean, I definitely thought like video games, I mean, it's something that I wanted to do originally because I was, I had a lot of personal stories revolving around how like games had helped me evolve as a person and I was seeing a lot of other people do them. So, I mean, it was primarily an artistic thing, but I still knew that the audience for that was wider than um than the audience for indie comics so Mm -hmm. i feel like anything that has any kind of hook that has its own websites and magazines and Mm. communities is is pretty solid um but yeah in terms of like making indie comics more popular in general i i I mean, that's another million dollar question. I think we need to make them like the new lifestyle accessory for (laughs) hipsters. Like instead of having to have the record collection that's really hip and curated, we just need to be like 
everybody has like, to have did you guys the, check out chainmail bikini yeah everybody's gotta have the, <laughs> like, the, the, the sexy indie comics collection on the shelf or don't fuck them as whoever that guy says yeah, yeah. that guy I yeah mean, the comedy guy We've definitely had a lot of conversations when we were putting together a project that was so huge where we were like, just by the amount of artists and people that we know who are involved in this project, their small community is going to become aware. Like, we knew that off the bat. So our challenge was saying, we know we have to make this goal and we're going to have to reach beyond what we know to to get this to happen. And some of that is mobilizing the people that you know to say, listen, like grassroots, talk to your friends, talk to your family, talk to, you know, people that you know and beyond there. Some of it too is just researching, all right, if someone likes X, will they like Y and Z? And then looking at how do people of our target audience consume their media? How do they find out about stuff? Yeah, exactly. And Kickstarter is great because it shows you metrics. It'll tell you what city had the most people responding what to you. Website. What websites. Mm-hmm. And I mean, Drew for us, traffic. it was um, Twitter. It was Tumblr. Mm-hmm. Um, it was Facebook. Um which are kind of like you kind of expect that. Yeah. But then you'd see that there were like unexpected things. Like our biggest city was Seattle and not a single person involved in the project was from Seattle. Yeah. Which was just, it showed you like there was this community in the city of people who want to support artists. And how, you know, you know, we would look up, you know, writers and, you know, bloggers and, you know, just people. Well, we branched out significantly. Yeah. Like we didn't, tar- like the people that had written about Kickstarters we were looking at things way beyond like just the indie comics community because mm-hmm. ideally you tap into something outside of that that is you know familiar like chainmail bikini like so many stories about like personal experiences growing up with games um i feel like that that hits like everybody who's played a game basically um you know we we talked about like yeah, like we talked to a lot of people you that were not be, not like an indie comics yeah, writer. It you was, have to be a little ruthless. I mean, like real talk, you do. You have to have strategy. And like, you know, sure, if you're making something a little smaller, like maybe you don't have to be such a ruthless person. And I'm not saying step on people, never do that. But I'm saying you have to calculate it. You have to sit down before this project is even ready to go and you know write down like make a word cloud make your associations like ideal places yeah. and then like other places that might be like, conducive you might not be a marketing <clears throat> dude from Mad Men but that that time is past <laughs> that time is gone you know you can do it yourself you can you can look at connections and you can and you, you can know. also reach out to people who have done similar things exactly. like find out like like, we sent out press releases when sure. we were contacting people. And, and, and I didn't know, not that I didn't know how to make a press release, but, like, I mean, that's not my jam. So yeah. I went to a friend that was, you know, going to school for media for and PR. for publicity yeah. and PR. And she knew how to do that. And she came up with a lot of strategies and ideas that I didn't even think about. Because, you know, she wasn't necessarily an indie comics person, but she was really interested in social media and PR. I think maybe that's a good point, too, is, like, Reaching not out just, to people, yeah. Yeah, like, like tapping into your your community that mm. isn't just there like just doesn't yeah. know just what indie comic because i mean we all know what indie comics want in a way um and then finding out like what what a person who isn't you know constantly browsing the note brow table but i think also like once you have well, these you people what do you yeah like what do you do so making sure that you have created a community that you have a safe space and that you are inviting and 
clear with what you're trying to do as well. Yeah. I think the insularity is, yeah, an obstacle kind of facing the whole comics industry, and it's not just restricted yeah. to self-publishing, although we do have more problems with the avenues of getting our books into stores. But on the other hand, maybe self-publishing allows you uh, more possibilities to experiment. For example, uh, my friend Jeffrey Lewis is a musician who's on tour all the time, and he's also a cartoonist, and the main way that he gets his self-published comic series out there, it's called Fuff, it's really good and funny short stories, but he sells it at like his table at at rock shows at his merch table so i mean i maybe self-publishing allows you the opportunity to come up with something that nobody else has thought of and mm -hmm. it might be stupid or ineffective but or even visiting yeah. other communities like i've recently got into like zine like subculture so that's like awesome because you get to learn like you know the comic side and the art side but also just like people just creating novels and zines and just like having just a crazy like I don't know material of just like everything basically um and just like at shows you get to meet librarians like teachers like all these other people who don't make comics or like art but it's just like great to meet that kind of like audience oh yeah um, so, it's yeah. all about the libraries and the school libraries so i totally <laughs> forgot yes. about this that is so but... good about librarians mm -hmm. in particular <laughs> yeah any yeah. way that you can get your stuff into libraries is is or even like books pretty ace that'd be great true <laughs> i mean i do think there's something special about a library though because people will take a chance on something that they wouldn't necessarily buy and like <laughs> it just it's like i remember when i was a teen and like pulling random stuff off the shelves oh, yeah. and it seemed so official so then when i see my stuff in libraries I think oh that's gonna fool somebody else into thinking that it's official <laughs> <laughs> yeah this is a real book I've been duped yeah. I mean libraries are so crucial they're so important well, we've and heard a lot from um, our our audience yeah. we're donating sets of books to libraries and we asked our backers and and artists to like reach out tell us the libraries they wanted to donate but in addition, like we we thought that would be great, and it is great. Yeah. <laughs> but we also got so many stories of, yeah. like that came with that that were people talking about that exact experience about like going into a library as a teen and and finding something random, something yeah. completely unexpected that they weren't looking for, and uh, and people kind of like waxing poetic right. in these beautiful stories about like how excited they would be. If they were teenagers, finding like right. a thousand one nights, and that and, also kind of ties into like representation matters. So yeah. like, being able to you know get books and ideas into the hands of people who need to see this and need access to yeah. this is very crucial. So mm -hmm. you know if you are doing a project, like talk to your local librarians, like see where you can you know go and how you can mm -hmm. you know reach within that own community right there. Mm -hmm. Um, Kat, you were talking about like zine culture i feel like that's really tied into like a lot of poli like political activism too oh, yeah. absolutely you get to meet a lot of people who also are into the same ideas um as you are and it's just it's it's really nice it's kind of it was like a nice break from like indie comics scene um it's like 
a little bit similar, but there's like more activism in it, and you get to meet mm. like a lot of cool folks. What are um, some of the like shows or events that you've been to? I don't know as much about that. Um, so the feminist zine fair or festival, feminist zine festival. Yeah, that's um coming up. Um, I've been to that one. Um, a few uh like Boston zine um festivals as well because there's a scene right there. Um, so just like going around, yeah. But I don't know. We, you know, we were talking about a couple times, like, changes that we wish we'd made. Do any of you want to talk about choices that you had wished you'd made differently when you were working on these, like, larger scale or smaller scale projects, too? Or maybe, like, some horror stories and <laughs> tales of warning? <laughs> well, I think it's important that, like, you realize they are learning experiences and that it's a way to grow. Yeah. Um which is why it's important to, you know, start small and participate in lots. I mean, when we planned ours, you know, we looked to see what had come before for positive things, but also negatives as well to just say, mm-hmm. you know what, like maybe there's a project that did something that we would never want to do or, yeah. you know, maybe there's like a way of pausing, just kind of picking and choosing what like you think was, yeah, what you think was it. successful versus what are things that, you know, you should, you know, avoid and things like that. And I think, um, you can never plan enough, and I think... I mean, we spent, like, two years before we launched. Right, and you know what? Unexpected things will happen. Like, for us, like, we had a part of the book where it was um, one of the backers could have a page that was themselves in the book. Mm. We didn't count on the fact that one of the backers would just go travel the world for three months and not get back to us. Two of them would not get back to us for three months. Yeah, like the idea of it was this incredible, you know, like it was a thousand and one dollar tier. Right. We and it was it was great. Like all the the three pieces that were in it are beautiful pieces. What we didn't factor in is the kind of people that would spend a thousand and one dollars on a tier. Sorry, like, peace out. Are going? The they are going to China, and they will not be back for three months. <laughs> right, and you can't just say sorry, thousand one dollar backer, like, you're out of yeah, the book. Like that's um, you know what I mean. And like, you know what? That was an experience. Yeah. The next time I do something large, perhaps you know, an individualized commission will not be part of it unless it's my own personal thing. Sure, yeah. You know Something I mean? that you can have more control. Sure, but I mean, those are those are things that you learn from, and you know what, someone else... Going into it knowing that you're going to yeah. make some mistakes and, and learn from them is probably like the best... I think being upfront is important. Yeah. And, um, you know, like I said, talking with other people too. Like, I attended numerous Kickstarter panels at, you know, whatever, you know, indie convention I could go to. I mean, having people, like, I would talk to people like Hazel, and I'd talk to, you know, other creators and ask them, you know, like, what was your experience? And, you know, back and forth that and mm-hmm. workshop it a little bit. And, mm-hmm. you know, friends would give me advice, and being open to criticism and critique is very important, too. Someone might say, like, for instance, there was a point where I was like, oh, we could we could make pens that are swords, because the pen is mightier than the sword, <laughs> and it's going to be the greatest thing ever. And then, you know, our, our guys at Bread Pig were like, listen, like... No. How you, <laughs> no, they you, were just no. Right. They were like they're like, no, because if you want to send this media mail, a pen will not send media mail. So now you're gonna be asking people uh, for more money. And so mm-hmm. you know what? Or things like the glow in the dark print where right. they were like I wanted a glow it in the will dark print. corrode the prints that are in with it. And we were like, oh briefly talk about Brad yeah. Peg and how they're helping you. Sure. Um, yeah. They've been a big help. Yeah, so we um, hooked up with a uh, sort of like a third-party helper. Like a full-service Yeah, full-service. But you can pick and choose. So, like, we did – I think we probably did 
the most minimal package. With we them. did, yeah. Um, because, um, the, you know, they offer services for talking to backers, you know, reaching out with emails. They offer services for, like, PR and sure. everything. And I think from the get-go, we were like, we really no, wanted, we can handle... Yeah, we wanted math help, and we wanted distribution. We wanted distribution. math and distribution. <laughs> and that was, that was, that was our like, thing. please ship our books. Um, but I have a, I had a relationship with um, George Grohack. I, he was, he's a really awesome dude. A long, long time ago, um, when I was, like, a little baby, I had you know, done my thing. And I emailed him a question. I was putting together a little anthology and I was like, I don't know who else to ask about printers, but do you have any opinions? And, you know, he didn't have to email me back. He didn't have to tell me anything, but he did. He gave me, he was so generous. He gave me this wonderful list of people. And I actually chose one of the printers and did one of my small projects with my friends. And it went really, really well. And that kindness was not forgotten. So later on, once I've like, you know, evolved a few levels, when I had this really big project, I went to him because he yeah. had not only shown me this kindness, but he clearly had this reputation from other friends of mine in the comics Knowledge. community that had worked with him. Like the experience that came with him. Right, mm -hmm. to back it up. And so for me, that was key, was finding a partner that can you know, take on something huge and that they had precedents before. Like they had done yeah. Atomic Robo and they had done, I think like Ryan North and like yeah, a lot they, of like mm -hmm. really big projects before. So they knew how to handle this specific problem that we had. And we kind of went to him and we were like, okay, here's our huge equation. Yeah, we were like, this is, <laughs> this is everything we're thinking. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and we're still working with them and they're still helping mm -hmm. us with the vendors and that's invaluable. And for something that's so big, like I live in a small apartment, like I can't fit a thousand and one plus books mm -hmm. like my floor yeah, will like drop each <laughs> book is like five pounds right it's so having happening. someone who has that experience is great and so like you know when you do your own project you might want to reach out and find someone who has experience tailored to what yeah. you're doing i mean one of the best experiences with them was was being able to say like we want to do glow in the dark prints and have somebody who right off the bat knows glow in the dark prints are a bad idea. They're going to like corrode the prints that are with them. If we stack or, them a certain way. Uh, like we that. actually, we did, we did a, a full spreadsheet of like all of the other rewards we wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And George went through and just like in the, the cells next to them was like, no, maybe. And here's why. <laughs> and yeah. it was, you know, like, but it was for, the here's why that was great. No, they, and exactly. Yeah. Like it's the experience mm -hmm. of knowing, you know, like, yes, we could do that, but, you know, like, this is this is what we'd have to do to set that up, or right. do you really think that's worth it with this? Because, you know, like, this is the knowledge I'm bringing to the table. Yeah. Um, and that was that was great for us to be like, you know, we talked about when we were a 750-page book, um, he was like, how how is this going to be, how is this going to be mailed? You know, like, he had... All of the knowledge that was like he had shipped books before. Mm -hmm. They had shipped all of these books before. And right. we could be like, you know, this is what we're thinking. This is seven hundred and fifty pages. Like, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. how do we how do we break this down? And it wasn't them telling us like Yeah, they didn't Here's dictate to us, do, this is what you're gonna do. But like, we yeah. what instead we were like, This is what we wanna do, like can you help us get with there. like the knowledge, like get there, yeah. like make the best product. Mm -hmm. Um, which is great. Like having a sounding board for somebody to talk to i think um especially for as as large as thousand and one got right. um was invaluable and i mean and also, the distribution <laughs> when you're doing a project like you have to think about how like math of how many books do i need to give to my artists to give yeah. to the backers and then to have if you're if you're the kind of project that you're gonna you know have beyond or if you are gonna you know work with a publisher and i think hazel you did and i think um you did too like where you're 
actually talking with a store or like distributing beyond the project. So maybe you guys could talk a little bit about like what happens beyond, okay, it's done. People have the books. Now what? Mm. Well, I have to get the books printed first. situation. But all right, we'll, we'll do a follow up <laughs> podcast on that. Um, well, for me, I was I had already been working with a sales rep for my other self published books. He's this guy Tony Shenton. He reps like everybody who makes mini comics and like a lot of self published weirdos. Um, and he's like. The only guy doing it, so thank goodness for him. But so I, and how a sales rep works is that he will like email me an order from a store, and then it's my job to print out the invoice and ship out the books, and then um, pursue the store to make sure that they pay me. Although he can help with that, so it's not as nice as a distributor, but it's a smaller cut. So I already knew that that was happening, but. Um, but for, and you have much broader distribution options if your thing has a spine and if it has an ISBN. Absolutely. Those, I mean, you need definitely the ISBN for Amazon, probably the spine too, but you need the spine for most distributors. So, um, I just asked like indie publishers that I knew whether they would be willing to sub-distribute Chainmail Bikini for me, which is essentially like they put it in their section of the bookstore catalog, which the, the one I'm going through is, it's through Consortium. I think they have a separate catalog. It's a little confusing. Or put it in their section of Diamond Previews, which is, like, the only thing that a lot of comic book shops use. So I, I went through a couple options with that. And, um, yeah, and I did, because I know I knew that some of these publishers had sub-distributed other people. And a couple turned me down. But, um, yeah, right now it's getting sub through Alternative Comics, which is a publisher from California, but um, a lot of different micro-presses have actually sort of mm. banded together under that banner because you have to have um, a minimum of number of books you publish per season or per year or something to be in Diamond, which is why it's really hard for a lot of, yeah, a lot of indie people. So they're just sort of... They, they distribute, like, um, Study Group, mm. Hick and Hawk, um, a few, and, like, a few other micro-presses of that scale that I'm not thinking of right now. So, yeah, I talked to them, and, um, and they said yes. So, you know, that means that Diamond or Consortium takes a cut, and then Alternative takes a cut, and then I get the rest. And of course, this is already starting from 50% of cover price. Um, and they have a warehouse that I was able to ship directly to, which is, you know, great because I can't be can't be storing this all in my oh God, New York yeah. apartment. So, so those are those are the upsides. Is just like getting a really broad base of orders um, and having a bit more help with 
promotion, like Chainmail Bikini had a little ad in Diamond. Um, and then they ship it out. But the cut that you end up getting is pretty small. I think I get around $5 per copy of Chainmail Bikini off of a $20 cover price. So you got to plan for that if you're working with distributors. Um, and they take a super long time to pay you, so you have to be able to really absorb too. those print costs. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's definitely the role of a publisher is taking on some of that financial risk and being like, yeah, I can put down, whether it's a small print run and it's a couple hundred dollars or whether it's a few thousand dollars, like, mm -hmm. yeah, I can afford to invest this and then have it pay me back over um, a couple of years, which, you know, again, is a lot easier once you have that, if you have that Kickstarter seed money. Does somebody want to discuss how you go about getting an ISBN? You just buy one. That's so easy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, you, you, I think it's like ISBN.org. Really? You can buy them, yeah. you buy them in bundles. You can buy them mm -hmm. like 10 at once. Yeah, there's, it's, it's, there's websites huh. where you just... It's almost like buying through a broker. It, yeah, it's, it's, so anybody can do it. You basically, you, you don't, I think you don't even like buy an ISBN for a specific book. You just buy ISBNs and then you apply that number to a book. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's pretty easy, yeah. but it does come with specific, yeah, I think you have to have like a certain spine and I think like hardback to a certain spine for something, um, is a big part of the distribution but I think that's also something you have to know going into a project. Like we're not we're not doing any distribution outside of our artists. Um, like a big part of our campaign is uh, making pages that like show everybody's shop pages and convention presences because we we made a special artist edition only um, so that anybody who missed out on the campaign then you know, can buy the books still, but then they're buying directly from the artists. Yeah, um, I mean, that's part of, like, our whole deal was, you know, for the artists, getting that to them, yeah. and, you know, that's just kind of, like, our, our message and, and whatnot. But also, sometimes it's important to think about, um, like, say you want to enter your book into a competition. Yeah. Um, there's certain competitions that will not consider your book if you don't have an ISBN, which mm -hmm. that's a whole other podcast. Yeah, not that but cool. I mean, it's still a but part of like, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a part of like the promotion that you should keep in mind for your projects. Um, like knowing the audience, but also like spreading them. Yeah. And I also have some like um, bookstores um, that are interested in buying uh, La Raza, but um, once it's like printed out and stuff, I definitely have to get like an ISBN and a barcode and all that fancy stuff so um that's also if you want to sell stuff to bookstores you have to keep that in mind yeah mm -hmm. or for the uh amazon listing i think mm. they need an isbn too mm -hmm. okay and yeah i think it i think it's like 20 or 40 dollars if you're buying one from it's really not whatever bad, yeah. website and then publishers will buy them in bulk like i think alternative got a thousand mm. for a thousand dollars and so they're I'm going to maybe get one of theirs for my next book, and then it'll be really cheap because mm -hmm. okay. all these publishers went in yeah. on a big chunk together. So the theme here is, um, you know, if you have, if you band together, then you have larger purchasing power. Potentially, yeah. 
influence power too. Mm-hmm. Hazel, you had mentioned grant writing and grants earlier, and Kat, I know you received a grant recently from mice do you guys want to talk about grants and how they influence what you can and can't make on on your own sure well yeah i mean that's another way of having the money to invest in a self-published project and it really it depends on greatly on the grant what they want out of it like some grants are just for like living expenses of artists and sort of to help give you the time and space to complete your project some like the queer press grant or the Zarek grant which are both of the ones I got are specifically for self-publishing I think for the Zarek which is defunct now but I think you had to return the money if you didn't show proof that you had actually printed the book in a certain amount of time which is cool um I think that the principles of grants are like very similar to crowdfunding in a way, which is that you have to have like solidify a pitch for a compelling project and be, you know, have as much work done on it already as possible and be able to show that if you get the money, it's really going to help you out and you're going to actually be able to make this thing like you have the ability, but that there's also the need for it. And different grants have different agendas about like what values they're, they're trying to promote. Mm-hmm. What was your experience like, Kat? Um, well, it definitely helped to self-publish uh, comics prior to like... Um, getting grants, I guess, or applying for grants. Um, so I, I got a mini grant from the Massachusetts Independence Comics Expo. Is that right? Yeah, that's exactly okay. Um, mice, otherwise. <laughs> um, but yeah, they select about five cartoonists, I believe, um, who applied for the uh, grant, and then whether or not they like the mini comics or whatever you're um, applying with, uh, they give you the grant at the um, convention. So it's kind of nice and it's kind of rewarding to know people actually want to read my comics you know yeah that's another big thing about grants is it's sort of the type of thing that you can put on your resume forever and some of them are more like some of them are more well known you know like if you get a MacArthur Genius Grant or something then that's like incredible but you know it does also carry some prestige with it even if people know what it is or not so it you know it's a to- it's a it's a gate kept thing for better or worse and then if you get through that gate that's like cool so what did they ask you for with the application um, it was uh, I think you had to send them like an email um, with a sample of what you want to pitch um, and then I think they had two deadlines. The first one was an early um, deadline where if you have your completed works, then you can send it already as a PDF through a certain email. And the second one is um, if you haven't finished your comic, then you have time to like finish that at a certain amount of time. Um, so yeah, it's just they're pretty flexible about it. Um, yeah, I just sent the email and that's it. 
even though I, I changed stuff prior to like what I actually said. But <laughs> do, you, do you know? Did they tell you about what they were looking for or what their criteria was? Um, I can't remember what it was. It was um, I think it was just general. Just like whatever comic you want to... All around yeah. greatness. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A lot of grants definitely have a, a need-based aspect, and sometimes mm -hmm. they'll ask you to do financial disclosures. So mm -hmm. that's where it comes in to be like, hey, I can make good on what I'm setting out to do mm -hmm. if you give me the money, but also I need it. And uh, for comics, I mean, both of the ones that I've gotten have been comic-specific, but I have heard from other artists that you can also seek out stuff for writers and for visual artists, depending on the description. And um, sometimes that gives you an edge, like especially with writer stuff, and they're like, oh, you can draw pictures too. <laughs> so that's, which is good because there are not a lot of comic-specific grants, so that's that's something to look out for. I think they require, I mean, crowdfunding versus grants. It's like similar amounts of like legwork and prep work, but crowdfunding, you have to get a small commitment from a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And grants, you have to get a large commitment from just a small committee or maybe even mm -hmm. one person. And I think it's most of the time it can't be comics that are published um, through a publisher. Um, most of the time, it's just like stuff that you self-published yourself, mm -hmm. so it gives you know the little guy like you know like a chance to like get their stuff. Yeah, out there. right. That's where the need base yeah. comes in. Yeah, which is great. So imagine that's pretty good for your own morale too. Oh like, yeah. Okay. Well, somebody thinks that yeah. I'm working doing this. <laughs> He's like, do you want to talk a little bit about what you're doing with Comics for Choice? Because it seems like you're running it in an interesting way, like just talking to other people. And oh yeah. I did forget to bring that up in my uh, introduction, but I'm doing another crowdfunded anthology um, about abortion called Comics for Choice. And it has, like, first-person abortion stories, but also stuff around the history of it, um, current legal struggles, advice from activists, um, just kind of trying to cover a lot of angles as long as it's pro-choice. And, and this one is, it's definitely more ambitious and structured differently than Chainmail Bikini and... I don't think I could have done it if I hadn't done Chainmail Bikini first. Um, yeah, like, for one, I have uh, co-editors on this one. Like, it's still self-published, but, you know, speaking of bringing together people's different strengths, that's been really great. Like, OK Fox is, like, an incredible um, organizer and activist, as well as being a cool artist. Um, and somebody with some first-hand experience, and then Whit Taylor um, works in public health, so she knows about that angle, so it's nice to have that, like, triumvirate to, you know, we all looked at the submissions together. Um, and, I mean, it's structured very differently because it's to raise money for charity mm -hmm. rather than, you know, raising money for me and the other artists. It's going to raise money for the national network of abortion funds so that's yeah that's been interesting um because like i guess the anthology is sort of 
an incentive for donating, like, because all of the money beyond printing costs and shipping costs and other essential costs, like renting a storage unit or maybe taxes, got to figure that out, got to talk to the accountant <laughs> before I start the official campaign is going to the NNAF. Um, but yeah, so it's, there's just so many more people involved, like, because they're a smaller charity, I've been able to work very closely with them. Like, at first I considered Planned Parenthood, but then I thought, like, this is specifically about abortion, not just, like, women's health or reproductive, reproductive health in yeah. general. So I want to do a charity that will specifically, uh, help people with that, and they, like help people pay for, um, like, logistical costs, like, if somebody can't afford, like, travel costs or health care or housing, stuff like that, because a lot of people have to go out of state. So they specifically help with that, but they're a small enough organization that I was able to, like, talk to their uh, development director, like, cool. I have this idea, like, are you into it? Like, are you happy to be on the receiving end of this charity effort? And what kind of involvement do you want to have? And then, so, she has, like, already helped me promote the call for submissions, and it'll be, you know, we'll be working closely together once it's actually a campaign. And I'm also trying to pair up more, um more writers with artists. Like, Chainmail Bikini, there was only a couple writers who were, like, indie game people who I tried to pair up with artists, and they all were enough in the community that they had cartoonist friends, and they right. came in with their collaborators. But, you know, for this, like, I, or we want to have broader perspectives than just, like, people who went to art school and learned to draw good. Like, we're trying to get like, lots of different first-hand experiences, people who've worked in clinics, you know, historians, so there's, um, there's a lot to be determined about how that collaboration exactly is going to work, but we got a list of artists who have volunteered to illustrate somebody's story, and then we are getting together a list of storytellers who've had abortions and a few different like academics who can help us talk about these different angles and then we will sort of pair them up based on who uh who vibes with whose work and you know not forcing anybody into a collaboration with anybody else yeah it's 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 a currently ongoing thing it's a big unknown, but yeah, it is structured very differently. And I'm not even going to do it on Kickstarter. I'm going to do it on Indiegogo because Kickstarter doesn't let you raise money yeah, for, for charity. Mm -hmm. Even if you are making a product as well, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. they won't let you do it. But um, yeah, it's, it's, it's odd. But Indiegogo, they have like a separate thing called generosity where yeah. they don't even take a fee. And you can also like create things, but then donate stuff like i believe the adventure zine which was yeah yep yeah there you go it was an anthology of illustrations that was primarily to raise money for charity but they mm. also 
took some money for the printing costs and stuff, and that was on there. So, awesome. yeah, I have to yeah. switch to a whole different platform. But, um, yeah, fortunately, I I have this experience. And, I mean, I guess as was implied in this, like... I'm asking all of the artists to donate their time, mm -hmm. and me and the other co-editors are donating our time, so that's very different. Um, you know, not not to say that it's not that your art isn't valuable, like we're our pitch to people, which so far people have signed up, so I guess people are into it, is like, donate the value of your work to a cause that you care about, like it's going to be more personally gratifying than you than maybe phone banking or like just directly giving them your money. You'll be able to like amplify it more by using your skills. So it sounds incredible. That's our theory. It's very important. Ah, <laughs> I feel like you raised thanks, a lot guys. of really good points, especially about like consent as well. Like, you know, between the people that you're working with as well as like, if there's like a charity that you're working with, like contacting them first, like mm -hmm. I think what you're doing is really awesome. And those are a lot of really great points. I mean, the Adventures Inn was super upfront about that, too, where yeah. it was like, you know, are you aware that, like, this is all going to charity? This is, you know, like, signing up. Um, but, yeah, when it's for a good cause, it's, it's super important to do. Do you have any, I think, advice about approaching, you know, the charity or, like, talking with them, like, how that interaction has gone? Because I feel like that might be scary for some people to say, oh, well, I would really like to talk to this person, but, like, mm -hmm. what if they ask me to change things or what if they say no? Mm -hmm. Um, I don't, I don't know if I have that much advice aside from I think that it worked in my favor that I did go with a smaller charity, not like Planned Parenthood, mm -hmm. which is super important, but is one of the biggest things. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I pretty much called up their phone hotline and punched in a couple different numbers cool. and left messages <laughs> for a couple different people saying, That's hi, great. I'm planning on editing this thing. I've, you know previously edited another thing um yeah and having that credibility i think helped a lot with like getting artists to volunteer and just getting people on board with it in general like mm -hmm. that i that they know that me and the other editors can deliver but yeah i mean it's i suppose it's possible that you might approach a charity that does have like a different perspective or is like well if you want us to put our endorsement on it we're gonna have to see it first and have input or it's gonna have to be a certain way and then that's a thing or I mean probably nobody's really gonna say no to a donation it just depends on how much it's like officially endorsed by the charity mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. I didn't even think about that. <laughs> I was like, yeah, you'll just go on their website and donate. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That makes sense. Well, it's it's definitely nice that they are, like, excited about the mission of it, which, mm -hmm. you know, raise money and also, like, educate people who might, like, be pro-choice in theory but not know a lot about it. Mm -hmm. We're trying to, like, radicalize people so once they read the book, they're really fired up and, yeah. like, understand that, topics more fully so yeah. that's also and what you're doing with this thing. seems to relate pretty well to um you know reaching outside of the um comic circle so like you're finding these storytellers and academics and through 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 various channels right right yeah um 
a lot of them, I, the the NNAF helped a lot with that because they have this whole like other organizational branch, this We Testify thing that's um, that's like women and people who've had abortions like speaking out about that and you know all these varied experiences like people who've already had kids people who are immigrants or people who had to have like late abortions all this so you know going to the experts and saying can you please help us find people who we should be working with really helped with that and yeah I mean it's like I haven't been like in pro-choice activism all my life so it's a little I mean nobody has been like all their life but you know not even for that long so there's a lot of like like reading a ton and then reaching out to the authors of stuff that I've read and reaching out to just more established like networks of activists so I'm not some weird like showboating hanger on like yeah. I want to raise money for your cause but not understand mm. yeah well I mean like I think it also speaks to the power of the medium that we're in that you know when you're doing something it's not just words it's visual mm. and you know there's a lot of people who are very you know whatever it is that you're thinking like sometimes it's very hard to reach people and you know you can shout at someone as much as you want but if you show them a better word you can't unsee those images and so you know when you do something you take on like a great you know anthology or a personal project or whatever you know considering how the media is and how you're going to deliver that whether it's illustration or design or you know poetry prose i mean like in our anthology, we have a guy that made puppet, you know, <laughs> so That's like, awesome. you know, reaching out and, and seeing, you know, new media and different ways that you can get these points mm -hmm. across because it's a great responsibility mm -hmm. right. to be able to speak with people and, you know, to show them, you know, these causes and these things that are very close to your heart. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Much as indie comics as a scene may have a limited audience, I think that the power of comics as a medium to affect people you know I believe in that very strongly and you know it's there and yeah uh, insular as it is yeah I think there are people who are going to be moved by certain things or just even like read a story because it's in comic form that they wouldn't yeah, have absolutely. otherwise there's I mean, a certain like, like consumability of comics that makes like a story more you know approachable right i mean maybe that's just for us as fans but you know <laughs> hey if i can yeah, radicalize maybe. the entire <laughs> indie comics community to like, like yeah. rally around defending abortion rights that's chill it's <laughs> a pretty good yeah <laughs> that's actually been like a pretty lovely uh Conclusion to our discussion. Rounded up to that really nicely. Does anybody have any uh, last points for insights? Yeah. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Yeah. You guys are incredible <laughs> and inspiring, and yeah, like, keep it up. Thank you. Yeah, it's a great example of um, community in action right here, this podcast. Also, uh, send your W9s out early. Mm. That was my <laughs> piece so of sure. advice that went wrong. <laughs> Amen.